Welcome to the Balkoff Podcast. Andrew, how are we doing today? I'm only using rosin on my fingers today. It's, it's provided by the league, so you can't suspend me for 10 games. What do you say? Have you, have you used any sweat? Yeah, it's a little hot here today, so I did use a little sweat, but just rosin and sweat. So, you know, wipe down my arm, pull that sweat in, rub my hands up, and then uh, still get ejected from the game. So you Now, know. have you have you changed your glove? Or are you using the same glove as when you started the podcast? Apparently the first glove was too sticky. So we switched mm-hmm. gloves and then maybe switched back gloves. Unclear how that went down, but yes. So I can't, I can't feel it, but just from looking at it through the screen, it appears as though it's the stickiest thing I felt not only today, but all year. So I think I'm going to have to eject you from the game. Yeah. At least from the podcast. All right. Thanks for a good show. It's just rosin, folks. That is an interesting component to it. Like, so they're going to go to court. They're going to stand in front of someone and they're going to argue their case. As far as I know, they did not confiscate the original glove. No, they gave him that. Yeah. And they had him, I believe Scherzer said that they had him wash his hands. And he even used... Like isopropyl alcohol, basically, you know, like... Yeah. Alcohol. And apparently there's some sort of MLB official in the dugout, which I feel like I knew that. I don't know if it's the authenticator or somebody in that kind of a role that works for the league that's not one of the four umpires. Apparently, he said he washed his hands in front of that person. And instead of calling out that person to be like, hey, what's going on here? They were just like, you're, you're out of the game. So pretty interesting. Do you think that they have him down there just like to make sure none of the players like after a bat are going in and just like ripping a quick line in the bathroom? Yeah, potentially. Or uh, <laughs> I think it's I think it's anti sticky stuff and that and I don't know what else it could be. Probably just mainly the sticky stuff and maybe maybe about sign stealing stuff. Maybe they sit near where the the replay room is. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like maybe they have positive ID on the trash can. Yeah, yeah. The replay person usually is like right around the corner, depending on how the dugouts are or um underneath of the, of the ballparks are set up, in my understanding. So could be that. Yeah, I could see that. Now, now all this comes back to for me is not necessarily like what he was using, like whatever, who cares? Um, if it was just sweat and rosin, then regardless of how sticky he can make it, you know, make the two substances, you know, work together. The fact that like all evidence was seemingly destroyed, like, what are you going to do now? Like, is it just like, sorry, we ejected you. It's 10 games. Like there's like, what, what evidence can Scherzer provide to theoretically get out of the suspension because he washed his hands. He took his glove back. I don't think that I'm not a lawyer by any stretch, but like, because he took it back. I feel like that he he wouldn't be able to really like present that as evidence. Like here, check out my glove that I've been in possession of since then until now. You know what I mean? Like how does like, so at that point, like what's the point of going in front of an arbiter or, or a judge or 
Manfred or rules committee or whoever it is, like, how does that make sense? I think the fact that it's Max Scherzer is going to make them change how they do this in the future. Agreed. Because there's only been four cases since they instituted the more stringent rules about basically outlawing the spider attack. I mean, there were instances like, do you remember when Pineda, Michael Pineda had like Pintar literally right here? All over his neck. Yeah. You could see it on the broadcast. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty it was pretty brutal, that one. Um, but no, I think three of the four have been by either this crew or specifically Phil Cuzzy doing the checks. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you saw the the Boris tweet, the, the Scott Boris tweet, but it was basically like, you know, we can't have a Cuzzy in the room, you know, one of his kind of <laughs> Uh, he was he was throwing bars on twitter trying to be funny tweets yeah (laughs) trying to make a catchphrase or something so yeah it's gonna be really i don't know i don't know what's gonna happen i feel like they might just give him like a four game suspension so he doesn't miss a start it's gonna be i don't know i mean but he only went three innings so thankfully the mets still were able to win a series in la and it didn't really i mean it affected the game and it's gonna affect how they use their bullpen here in the next couple of days but thankfully they they won still I just put on some chapsticks. So hopefully no umpires saw me do that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. An- another thing that's going to add a layer of, I don't know if complication is the right word, but just some sort of intrigue is that Max has been like a very prominent figure for the MLBPA and the CBA, you know, negotiations and, and so forth. So like this is, it's not really like massively impactful. Like it's not going to change the season. It's not going to change how we feel about shares or anything like that. But I mean, who cares? Like even if he was using a sticky substance, like pitchers have been doing that for hundreds of years, like literally okay. since the beginning of baseball, like who cares, but it's going to just add an, another level of intrigue. And I'm really curious to see how that plays out, not only for him, but for future rulings and also what it does to Phil Cuzzy, because now he seems to be a pretty central figure in these substance related ejections. Yeah. So two things I am in thinking of when he was basically called out by, I think it was the Yankees under Joe Girardi mm-hmm. and basically was threatening to take off his pants in front of 20,000 people at Nats Park. I don't know if you remember that. I, I do not, but that makes me think of Steve Sachs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when his pants, when he just kind of took his pants off, yeah, <laughs> like he was just like home in his backyard or something. Right. But the the Scherzer one was they were alleged he was using sticky stuff, so he took off his hat. He the the umpire I think felt his head, and then he was like, I "Want to look at my belt too?" And he was yes, like, yeah, I do you remember that? Belt, like undoing his belt, the umpires were like, "No, no, no, put your put your your pants back on," and, and he- also in. The, the three innings that he pitched in L.A., he was a lot better than he was in the first two starts. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Listen, sometimes when there's smoke, there's fire. Um, No, now that you mentioned, I, I, I remember the scene in Washington because I remember him taking off his hat and all like 15 strands of hair that he has just completely soaked in sweat and them having to run their fingers through his nasty, sweaty kind of hair while he's going. It's just sweat. It's just sweat. <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. So Max has a type so far. It, it's it's exclaiming what something is definitively. It's rosin. It's sweat, and probably here pretty soon. It, it's bullshit. <laughs> oh, can we leave uh, like five seconds of dead time so I can crop in? It's just rosin. Yes. Y- yes. When you use sweat and rosin, your hand is sticky. Should we talk about 
the big news of the day. And we are recording this on Thursday, 4:20. Smoke them if you got them. Late last night, uh, buried underneath playoff basketball and playoff hockey. I think it was really just like hockey at the end. Like it was like towards was the like end. Eleven forty-five Eastern time. Yeah, it was like towards the end of the Oilers Kings game. This uh the the newspaper in Vegas, the Review Journal, I think it was. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was the Nevada Independent. I linked the article in the show notes. But they sent out a tweet basically saying that there was a binding agreement between the Oakland A's and the city of Las Vegas to build a new stadium on a site about an exit up on the 15 from the Raiders new stadium and just across the highway from T-Mobile Arena. So this one... It was definitely a news dump because it was super late, especially for those on the East Coast. But it started spreading like wildfire because shortly thereafter, you had a statement from the A's. You had a statement from the mayor of Oakland, I believe, basically saying we have turned our attention away from negotiating with the A's and we are focused on other redevelopment plans for for the area where the where the stadium is on the in the East Bay. And yeah, it's just we kind of spent a few minutes talking about this before the season in our preview, but for some I think it was a massive surprise for others, maybe like maybe myself. It is still a surprise, but not necessarily surprising that it that they are going to move, basically. I mean, it's not officially done, but it's more or less done at this point. But really more so than anything, it's just sad. It's just sad the way that the owner is going to benefit from this. The team in and of itself, you know, it remains to be seen how they run in Las Vegas. But just after years and decades of being run like crap and you know not spending any money not doing anything to to fix the current stadium rob manfred himself basically saying that if they don't get a new stadium in oakland then they should look to move elsewhere like it's just a it's just a real shitty situation for all the longtime oakland a's fans in and around the area and across the country it's honestly kind of a disgrace when i think about it i mean i just watched mets a's all weekend and the team is very bad they have a 771 team era they're not getting good starting pitching. They had 17 walks, 17 walks in the game on Friday. So the quality of the team is not very good. They have a couple of good young players, but they'll probably get traded eventually. That's just how this team operates right now. Um, it's a it's a real shame for the fans, like you said. That's who I really feel terrible for. The loyal fans who are there when the team is 3-16 and 16 as of recording and still going to games and still making that drive or taking that bar train over. And it seems like that is kind of over. I mean, why would people go now? They're they're terrible and they're leaving. They're on the way out. It's going to be interesting to see. I think their lease ends with the Coliseum at the end of next season mm-hmm. in 24. So it's going to be interesting to see if they move early and play in the Aviators Stadium, which is I think just called Visit Las Vegas Field, which is a AAA stadium right now that's brand new or fairly new last five years where the Aviators play. That's actually their AAA team. So I don't know if they'll go early and play in that facility. I would have to check the the seating, but I mean, it would be a AAA ballpark for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Well, they built this uh, park on the site along uh, 15. Um, I've never been to Vegas, but I was looking at the map. It's basically right across like exactly what you said um, from the... Uh, uh, T-Mobile where the, the Knights play and about a mile from where the Raiders play. So they've mm-hmm. created kind of like 
off to the the west of the strip they've created these three and uh then the um so yeah there's just all these arenas now and it's it's just another draw for that's that area for tourists and obviously we know the the population of vegas is growing so it's good for them but it's terrible for for oakland and and A's fans that now they've lost all three of their major sports uh even the warriors you know going to the other side of the bay just culturally and yeah symbolically it really says a lot i think that that's almost the i'm i'm not of that part of the country but i think that would be the biggest slap in the face like like i'm imagining like if the mets went to like newark new jersey how how furious i would be that they ditched queens i feel like it's the same sort of thing yeah going back to what you said first it it's it's borderline criminal as far as i'm concerned like I, I, this is not new. This is how professional sports have been in America pretty much since the beginning of professional sports. It is not nearly as wild now as it was many, many, many decades ago, even like a hundred years ago, where team would have a bad year and then immediately, immediately pick up and leave town and head somewhere else or fold or whatever the case may be. Obviously, the financials involved are much more stable these days to where it doesn't necessitate that. But it is it is pretty, pretty offensive to me. We were talking about it a bit in the discord late last night to where it's I don't think that there's necessarily an equivalent across other sports because there are just so many factors when you take into account the baseball team, the time in which it takes to 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 redevelop, you know, a, a franchise, the fact that there is no salary cap or salary floor, that certainly plays into the aspect of, I mean, really three, a couple of years ago when they started trading off all of their assets, I think the first reaction was, oh, they're just doing the typical ace thing. Like they're not going to get where they want to go with this core. They're trading before they hit free agency. They're re-racking with prospects in which basically all of the trades that they've made have not resulted really in any major league like high impact quality guys. Now there are a couple guys like Kyle Mueller and Shaylene Gleers. Like there's a couple of options that could be very useful down the road. But one of the one of the big pieces they got back from a trade with the Braves, Christian Pache, he's already gone. He's already on another team. So like that clearly didn't work. So because of that factor, like in in the NBA, you have you basically have to have to fill salary. Like even if you've run out an absolute bare bones team out there, like you're not, I mean, there's, there's tanking of course, but the salary structure is much different. There's a cap, you know, there is a minimal expectation of spend. Same thing with NHL, NFL, obviously like everyone's trying to compete every year because it's just, there's so much parity. You can go from last place to first place in a year, no problem. And you can do that in NBA pretty easily as well, depending on like one or two guys in baseball, you don't have that. And so you've seen them deliberately tear down the major league club, have, re have replaced it with basically like a, a roster of players that are, that cannot compete with current teams. I mean, as of recording, I think they are minus 86 in run differential and they haven't even played 20 games. They are currently on pace for the worst major league season ever. And certainly so in the modern era, like this is not just a bad team. This is different from the 2003 tigers where they were a bad team, but they had a lot of young players and probably up too early, but they had a lot of young players who ended up being 
important pieces when they started competing a few years later. This is a team that is bad with no real way out of it right now. They don't have a good minor league farm system. They don't really have any good, young, dependable, foundational pieces, at least that we've identified right now. They haven't spent any money. They haven't made plans to spend any money. They have done nothing with the with the ballpark. Like it's it quickly shifted from, oh, this is another A's rebuild. And then the general like, oh, move the A's, move the A's. They're going to move, blah, 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 which has been consistent for most of my life to I really think that they're bleeding everything dry to force a move. And it, it breaks my heart, like you mentioned, for all of the fans, because they were in the midst of planning a basically a, a reverse sit out, which they were going to pack the stadium and basically show like, yes, we can support a team. We are just unhappy with the way that this team is being run right now. Not unhappy with this team, with the franchise that is in Oakland, but just unhappy with how it's being run currently. And then before they could even get that scheduled and up and running, the news drops that they're, that they're, they're hopping town. So it, it, it really breaks my heart. And to the last thing that you said, there is a really unfair perception of the Bay Area between the white collar of San Francisco and the blue collar of Oakland. San Francisco being much nicer, more in, in, more attractive, more enticing, attractive in the sense of like a city in, in its in totality. And Oakland being, for lack of a better term, the hood. And this is not where you want to be. Despite overwhelming culture, art, music, so many factors that make that makes Oakland such an incredible city in and of itself. And in the span of roughly five years, you're looking at now going from three of me of the four uh, three teams of the major four uh, leagues in North America to to having zero and the Raiders moving that hurts that hurts a lot obviously NFL is king in 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 the U.S. the A's moving that really hurts because they're the last one and they're the team that have that have been in Oakland the longest but I think the Warriors move across the bay was really kind of the death knell in all of this because it was the it, it was that perception coming to fruition. We have right now one of the greatest runs in basketball, especially in modern day basketball, and we're moving 15 miles across the bay because we would rather be in San Francisco than be here in Oakland. And I think that has just like really really solidified for some the quote-unquote perception of the two cities and it's been incredibly unfair and I don't I, I'm not from there I don't live there there are many people who would be able to express their feelings much more eloquently than I would be able to but it just it sucks so bad because no no fan base deserves to lose a team to lose all of your teams back to back I, I couldn't imagine that. Like, I could not imagine that. Like, I I don't know if I would be able to follow sports anymore. Like we, we we attach so much of our identity as sports fans. Some people root for teams in, in other places. Like, that's fine. Like, But like, when you root for a team where you're from, you attach so much of your identity, good and bad, to the athletics, to the sports franchises that are in your metro area, in your city. And when they're gone, it takes away not just like something that you love, but something that's like kind of made you who you are too and how you self-identify. 
And I, I just don't know how to, how to process that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm reflecting on the, my own family history of my grandpa watching the Dodgers and then they, they, they left for LA. He didn't follow baseball until the Mets came around. He just stopped. He wasn't going to become a Yankees fan. Like ace fans are not going to become giants fans. Like that's just, oh, no. that's just not going to happen. No. And, and, and we're saying generally, like I'm sure they're, uh, exceptions apply there are going to be some who just love baseball if you're a little kid if you're like a five-year-old kid that's fine sure sure. you're like a lifer and you watched ricky henderson and you watched vita blue and you watched catfish hunter and those amazing teams you're not going to become a giants fan that's the enemy or if you were just a little bit older than i am and you grew up and you and your your core memories of watching baseball was the 1989 world series you know what I mean? Like watching the A's, you know, play against the Giants, like the Battle of the Bay, the earthquake, like all this stuff, like core foundational memories of your childhood. And now half of that is gone. Like it, it's just gone. And there is a lot of blame to go around. And once again, I am I am not smart enough and I do not know enough to assign blame. But I don't think anyone comes out of this innocent. I find particular fault with Rob Manfred. I find particular fault with uh, John Fisher in the front office and the and the ownership group of the A's, and I find fault with the with the Bay Area and the city of Oakland. Like nobody there, wanted to work. Nobody wanted to make. It nobody work. wanted it to work. Nobody wanted to compromise to make something work. And whether it was disingenuous or not, the A's did make some proposals to build build a new ballpark. The city, I don't know what their motivations were, if it was economical, if it was environmental, like whatever the case may be, like there was just no compromise and no common ground for them to find a path forward. And so I'm always going to find anger in the ownership for moving a team. I think that that's 100% correct every single time because they ultimately make the decision to move the team. But I don't think anyone comes out of this innocent. All parties are are guilty that of, of whatever happened that resulted in the A's moving. And I I said it when we were having our divisional preview, but like I said, I'm not from Oakland. I don't live there, but I grew up as a fan of the Rangers. And a foundational memory of mine, especially in the summer, was staying up super late, 10, 11, midnight past you know, watching Rangers play out in Oakland in a dark and quiet ballpark, listening to the drums in the background and falling asleep to that. And it's not my team, but like that's a core foundational memory of mine. And so thinking of myself enjoying the Rangers and A's always playing and just like the entire aesthetic and just memories watching that when I was a kid, knowing that that's no longer going to be reality. We're now going to be playing against the Las Las Vegas A's. Listen, I'm not trying to make this about me because it sucks for so many other people far more than it does for me, but it's just trying to find shared experiences. And I I think kind of the reason why it really affects me as well. I just say one thing before we move on. Sure. Now the microscope is firmly pressed upon the Tampa Bay Rays to figure out what they're doing with the new stadium. If if they're going to have to also be relocated or if they're going to figure out some sort of compromise locally, because now the A situation is basically solved unless something goes horribly wrong building the stadium in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. but the team's committed that money. And it sounds like the Vegas um, uh, governments at, at that need to be appeased, like the governor of, of Nevada, it sounds like they're on board. So now it falls on on the race to figure out what they're doing. 
and it's it's terrible to talk about it like this, but it seems like they might have to relocate too, even though they have loyal fans. They're yeah, especially right now, they're playing great. So it's just a shame that these two teams just can't seem to figure it out with their local municipality and get it rolling. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that that Manfred said was that before they even took into account any plans for expansion was they need to resolve what's what's going on with the A's and the Rays. Well, the first domino has seemingly fallen. So now the Rays, the the clock is kind of starting to tick on what's going to happen with them. And are we going to lose two franchises? Granted, like no disrespect, the Rays do not have the foundations in the sport or in in tampa st pete like the a's have had in oakland but it's still not a good conversation to have it's not a fun conversation to have and so i mean once that's resolved then i mean i think we're pretty much like we're probably within five years of having two new franchises like i i think we're at that point now um and that's in addition to whatever happens with the rays right agreed cool should we discuss madison bumgarner uh yeah let's do it was it today that he was dfa'd Yes, it was today. So he's been DFA'd. The Diamondbacks are going to eat the rest of the contract, uh, $34 million. So he's DFA'd so he could be traded or released. He doesn't have any minor league options left, of course. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's basically done. His Diamondbacks career is all but over. They brought up Tommy Henry, uh, who is an innings eater. We were talking about it before. He's a Michigan guy, so I'm happy um, <laughs> he's going to have a roster spot here for at least a few months. But then they're probably going to go with uh, Fat towards the end of the season, maybe mid-June, July, something like that, especially if he pitches well in Reno. But yeah, I mean, like I, I said this in writing earlier to you and to others, it signals kind of a shift, especially because the Diamondbacks are playing so well. I mean, they just stole another base on me. They're they're running. They're really testing pitchers. Um, their pitching's getting better. Their bullpen's not bad. They have a lot of young players. They have uh, Jamison down in the bullpen and Ryan Nelson. They have this young outfield, Corbin Carroll especially. They have Cattell Marte still on the team. So um, they have a really good young uh, core of quality players that are only going to get better, especially Corbin Carroll. It's I feel like this the, the sky is the limit for him personally but yeah i feel like saying you know we we took a a big swing here bringing madison Bumgarner off of all those great years with the giants especially in the postseason and we're admitting defeat we're admitting it didn't work out and we're eating the money and we're moving forward with other pitching options to see what we have and potentially to bring up a guy like uh fat later in the year i think it's a good move i think it shows that they're serious Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I even said it yesterday. um, I'm talking with the homies that like it feels like it it feels like every five days is a scheduled loss for the Diamondbacks whenever he's out there. And then less than less than 24, less than 24 hours later, he's basically off the team. No, I agree. I mean, I think that there are quite a few teams that could learn a lesson here. It's like just because you're paying someone money doesn't mean you have to play them. Right. Like you're you've already committed to the contract. They're in so far a negative value that you're not unless you like attach it with a massive prospect, which I don't think the Diamondbacks are in the position right now to do. It doesn't make sense for them in their trajectory. Sometimes you just got to cut bait. Like you got to pay them anyway, like at least pay them and hopefully have someone else who can give you better production and not have to see them suffer and tank your season. Marcelo Zuna, what's up? It. It is a really positive move. I was a little surprised that it was uh, that it was uh, Tommy Henry that came up, 
But after you know doing a little more reading and research, it kind of makes sense. And and we talked about this a little earlier. It it almost seems like they just made a decision. They said, "All right, we're done." Like he's we we're basically not competitive every time he takes the mound. Let's get someone who is a major league ready, quote unquote. You know, can adapt. He pitched. You know, major college baseball. He's already in AAA. There's not really a whole lot we need to figure out about him. Is he good? Probably not. He's probably going to be more of a bullpen or or swingman guy, you know, throughout his career. But he's at least someone who can come in and eat innings and you don't have to worry about tanking or ruining development for. And in parallel to that, you know, they can kind of start grooming fat to, to get ready to come up, you know, make his major league debut, start, you know, getting him mentally prepared to to pitch in major league games. Yeah, I think this is like a one to two month move before they start to consider bringing up uh, maybe Blake Walston as, as well. Because, I mean, I think right now the Diamondbacks pitching is okay. But it's really kind of the main thing that's holding them back right now. And they've been off to a great start, as you outlined. Like, they are an incredibly fun team to watch. And they have pitching talent and depth in the minors. I think they've just made the decision that, like, okay, like, if we need to make a trade, we need to make a trade. But, like, let's give these young dudes a chance first. Like, we're in a good spot. Like, let's see. Let's see what happens. Right? And and I completely respect that sometimes there are teams that are just so beholden to experience and veteranmanship and oh this guy's gonna teach all of our young pitchers even though he sucks now like when really sometimes you just got to be like dude they got they got to sink or swim like it may be a little bit too early but like we got time and if something good happens this year then awesome and if it doesn't well we tried and we can re-rack for next year because obviously they are building towards competitiveness like they've already shown it so far through roughly 20 games so i thought it was a very positive move i think it's going to help more so than just on the field because if i was sharing that opinion right that like man it really feels like it's a scheduled loss every time Bumgarner takes the ball i can only imagine what some of those players feel and it's complicated in the dynamic of a clubhouse or on a team when you have personal relationships with the people that you play with but at the end of the day, like we're trying to compete and I can love you like a brother, but if I know that you're going to go out there and give up nine runs every time you start, I'm not super jazzed every time it's your turn to start. Uh, I was doing some digging on uh, Diamondback stats. He and qualified starters among guys who pitched, you know, at least two or three years to the Diamondbacks, worst ERA in team history. I mean, the Diamondbacks have only been around since 98. So, Yeah. Did you know Dan Heron is 11th in all-time war for the Diamondbacks? I did. He was very good for them for quite a for quite a long time. I mean, long time relative for the Diamondbacks. I mean, they've never they haven't really often had a pitcher stay there for more than like four or five, maybe six years at a time. I think it's probably Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, and Zach Grinky at the top. If I you know put a gun to my head in some order, and hey, don't forget about Brandon Webb now. Brandon Wood was really good, but I. I my memory may be off, but I feel like he had like a two or three year peak. And then after that, it was pretty much, pretty much done. Um, But yeah, I mean, and and that's another thing. So like whenever they signed, uh, whenever they signed Bumgarner, they were really kind of bidding against themselves. Um, It was pretty much a panned 
signing across the board because he had already shown very, very strong signs of, of declining in his last year or so, maybe two years with the Giants. He was not the same pitcher. He had lost a bunch off of his fastball. And obviously, when you lose off your fastball, you lose effectiveness off your secondary stuff, unless you're just the type of pitcher like Zach Greinke, who just creates a new new pitching identity, a new way to pitch, like throwing my changeup as hard as I throw my four-seamer, just throwing a 48-mile-an-hour curveball, stuff like that, showing the signs to the batter and then throwing something different. Like unless you unless you're just a maniac or someone who's just incredibly talented in other ways than just, you know, your ability or at least your your stuff, how hard you can throw, then usually once once that once that velocity starts going down, that's usually for most a sign of the end times. So yeah, that was a wild contract from the start and, you know, kudos to them for, for recognizing it. And Hey, now Bumgarner can either Bumgarner can go back to, you know, roping contests. He's making, you know, 30, $34 million in the next couple of years to basically chill and sit at home and do nothing. So it's not like everyone, it's not like anyone came out of here a loser, so to speak. Do you think he's going to throw another pitch in the major leagues this year? Um, I could see it. I could definitely see someone saying we can not fix him because you can't just suddenly like have him regain velocity. But I could see someone saying, you know, I can find an effective use for him. Now, for me, it's going to come down to whether he wants to. And that's a much bigger question for me, because as we have established for years, he is a red ass. He does not like to be told what to do. He does not like to be told how to do his job. He doesn't like other people trying to do their job if it happens to be close to him. I think there was, uh, who was it? Was it Gabriel Moreno? Yeah, he who... had like a, a hissy fit when someone like tried to call the game. It was so, so. Well, he, had, he had that, but he, I forgot who they were facing. Um, I can't think of it right now, but obviously it wasn't Moreno because they're on the same team, but he was facing someone and he threw a pitch and a dude just hit a foul ball. And he said, shut the fuck up, you pussy. Like, <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, so for me, I don't think it comes down to whether another team will be like, hey, we want to come in here like the Royals, right? The Royals being like, hey, like, we're terrible. We're almost as bad as the A's. Like, you just want to come help. up. I was yeah, also yeah. the Royals. Yeah, please help. Like, just come eat some innings. Who cares? Maybe get some butts and seats, whatever. We know, we know you suck, but we do not care. Or another team being like, hey, do you want to come in and be a situational lefty or something like that? Like, could I see it? Yes. Is he going to take that ego hit? I'm less certain of that. The only places I was also going to say Kansas City, which is very funny. Also, I see no reason for him not to just go to uh, Sacramento AAA with the Giants and uh, see what he can do. But again, you might be right about the ego hit. He might just uh, take, take, take a walk. You know, go ride his dirt bike or whatever he does for fun. I could very well be wrong, but he does not strike me as the type who's like, I'm going to hang on for every single day that I can. I think he's just more than fine. Like the time that it's up, he's like, all right, well, well, cool. I got $150, million. I'm just going to go hang out on my ranch. Like that's that's the feeling that I get from him. For sure. What else do we want to cover? Do you want to talk about some teams that are performing well or not well? Yes, I do. The Mets just took two of three from the Dodgers. And uh, Adam, the Dodgers don't look too good. Their bullpen is very bad. And very uh, bad. it's not going to get better because they have a lot of guys injured. Um, they still have amazing starting pitching. Kershaw was 
vintage Kershaw. I don't know if you're able to watch. Oh, he was that. great. The other night, he, he was, was so good. Yeah, he was his usual self. Got his 200th win. Mm-hmm. Now has the most is the pitcher with 200 wins with the least losses. Yeah, he's like 200 and like 88 or something like that. That's something obscene. Mookie's on paternity leave, so congrats to him and his family. But he is currently not with the Dodgers. I don't know if he'll be back there up in Chicago right now. They're going to play later tonight. I don't know if he's back tonight, maybe tomorrow. There was talk about him potentially having to play shortstop. Yes. The Dodgers do not have any shortstops in their organization that are healthy or like major league ready. The only guy who started at shortstop yesterday is a journeyman utility guy named Luke Williams, who is a quad a player. Mm -hmm. He hasn't even played that much shortstop. So they just don't have a shortstop right now because Gavin Lux, uh, as we know, towards ACL, right. And MCL, I think both. And Mm -hmm. Rojas has had a hamstring injury basically the whole year. So he's hitting like 150 and is now on the IL. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have Romney Hernandez and Luke Williams and are probably going to have to play Mookie Betts at shortstop. Yeah. I think he's going to play shortstop, <laughs> which is insane. Like we know he can play second. We know he's an incredible defensive outfielder. He came up originally, I believe as an infielder. I think he was originally a second baseman before moving out. And not to interrupt he, you, the lineup is out for tonight and Mookie is still not back. And Luke Williams is at shortstop again. They do not have another option. One thing that they do have is they do have outfielders. So if you have an outfielder who can play shortstop or you think may be able to, that's really the only path forward. You're not going to throw Muncie at shortstop. That would be hilarious for all involved. In fact, I kind of want to see it. Um, fly to a major league ballpark to see that in person. <laughs> It, they would have to bring in one of the outfielders to play like in the five, six hole. Cause they know that like, if it's like, like if it's a ground ball, any, any further than like eight feet to his right, like it's a base hit. Um, <laughs> they're not going to put, not going to put Freddie at short with the third base. Yeah. He played third base a couple of times. I think. Yeah. Who is he accommodating for? Matt Adams was on a heater for the, for the Braves. That's right. And then Freddie came back and because Matt Adams was so hot, Freddie played third base for like five. That's games. right. Yeah. That, because because it was before, Matt it was Adams before. was no longer hot. So they put Freddie back at first base. Yeah. That experiment lasted like 19 innings. Uh, that was funny. Yeah. Cause that was before the DH and obviously Matt Adams can't play anywhere else. Like I, I remember I was there. I saw him try to play left field a couple of times and he cannot play anywhere else than first base. Um, Designated hitter. I'm looking yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I think he's going to play short. And I think the outfield is going to be something wild like Trace Hayward and Outman or something like that. Or maybe they bring up maybe they bring up someone else who's ready. I mean, they have a lot of guys ready in, in the minors. Like, So they didn't sign a shortstop this last offseason. Was that a bad decision? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yes, definitely. Um, Based on what we kind of assume and even what their their front office has has said, their main goal was just resetting the luxury tax. Okay, that's fine. They've been winning the NL West for like the better part of a decade. I think nine out of 10 years now. They can handle a reset year. It'll be okay. Are, I, I would still I would still today bet on them as more likely to make the playoffs than not just because it's the Dodgers and they've had health issues. Like we'll see how it how it how it resolves. But yeah, they're going to be back in the same position they are next year. 
or, or at the same position they were this last offseason. Like they're going to have to get a shortstop because like you said, they don't have a shortstop in the top level of the minors. They have a lot of good prospects. None of them are shortstops. I don't think that they want to make Mookie a long-term shortstop. So they're going to be in the market for one. Like they're probably going to have, they're probably going to go after Otani and they're probably going to try to figure out a way to get a shortstop. So it's going to be interesting. They're definitely not the spooky Dodgers of years past. The bullpen, like you mentioned, is horrific. When Shelby Miller is your best reliever, even if he's been performing well, that's usually not a good sign. And I mean, their starting pitching is still fine. I kind of, I wonder if Kershaw is kind of wishing he maybe took a chance somewhere else this year, but I mean, he's, he's such a Dodger through and through. Like, I think, I think, and we said this before this season, I believe like the only teams I think he's going to play on between now and retirement are the Dodgers and the Rangers. And I even put the Rangers at like pretty slim odds. So yeah, I think I, retiring a Dodger. Yeah. I have him retiring a Dodger as well, but I think the only other place he would go is just Arlington. Cause that's where he's from. And he's expressed it a few times that he would like to pitch there, but we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. But yeah, they have not been very good. Speaking of shortstops, though, guess who comes back tonight? Fernando Tatis Jr. I think he's in the lineup. That is correct. He, in his minor league stint, he was like batting 500 over like, what was it? Like he was like six for 12 or seven for 14, seven for 13 or something like that with like seven home runs. (laughs) By the way, did you see the throwback PCL uh, Padres jersey? Yes. Those are fantastic. You know what they were celebrating? So they had a player, and the name is escaping me right now, and I am incredibly embarrassed. Johnny Uh, Ritchie? Yes, Johnny Ritchie. He was the first to break the PCL color barrier. Very nice. The jerseys are up on auction on their website, and you can get Brett Sullivan's game use and autograph jersey for $400, so... considering a quote-unquote on the field quality jersey on fanatics goes for like 400 or 350 anyway like you could if you're going to spend that kind of money on a jersey you could find a lot worse to to spend it on unfortunately the jay cronenworth one is over two thousand dollars so i won't be ah yeah that makes sense we all love the crone zone no but it was an incredible look it was a it, it almost looked like a when i first turned on the tv it almost looked like a combo of their like 2014 or so era uh solid white with navy trim uh padres jerseys but then i immediately saw the red trim around the padres and the red s on the hat and i was like oh this is different so no that was a really really good look i I really appreciated that but yeah tatis is back the saga hopefully has ended man i i just have a feeling like he's gonna come back and he's just gonna start raking and that offense is gonna take off joe musgrove is coming back here in like another week or two he actually may be starting sometime this week, but I mean, I think if there's a time, if there's a time for them to turn the corner, it's when they get their ace and their most electric, uh, most electric player back, like within the same like 10 days. Yeah, because other than Xander, who's been terrific and Manny's been pretty good, I, I don't mean to be mean, but uh, Juan Soto has been pretty bad. And uh, a lot of these kind of like, guys that they went with like um matt carpenter hasn't been very good um they're mm-hmm. not really playing nelson cruz a lot which is interesting i guess he's old so yeah he's old he's 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 pretty much like a lefty only option yeah yeah and uh cronenworth's been up and down so it's been a little bit of a rocky start austin Nola has been really bad so it's just kind of one of those things where like we talked about in the preview if you, once you get fernando in there if it all goes right which hopefully for the padres fans it will 
that'll really bring up their level. And um, I think it'll, it'll really help. And Musgrove as well. I think we um, don't underestimate the rest of the, the Padres staff. Unfortunately, a lot of them throw a lot of pitches. Yeah. Um, and uh, some of these guys have been off to good starts, but I think Musgrove adds, adds that back as well. So I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, it, it it definitely changes the complexion of their rotation when it goes from you and Blake Snell, which don't get me wrong, you has been pretty pretty awesome so far this year. Blake Snell has very much not been. That's at least as as long at least since he's been with the Padres, that's kind of Blake Snell's thing. It's like he kind of starts off sketchy, like ridiculously sketchy. Like, is this dude done? And then he'll just like suddenly like become unhittable for like three months down the stretch or two months or whatever. So I think if you're a Padres fan, you hope that that starts turning around sooner rather than later. I know for me, it's frustrating every time I tune in and I see, oh, it's the bottom of the third and Blake Snow already has 78 pitches. Like that's horrific. Like, but yeah, I mean, they have not only just some reinforcements coming, they have like the best, arguably the best on both sides of the ball coming back. So um, yeah, that's going to be really interesting. We're going to say bye to probably seeing Rugnet Odor getting starts for them. End of an era. <laughs> Rip the stinky Padres. Ruining his home plate, but also trucked Travis Turner. Yeah, I gave he he gave him a running knee, man. It was I think I called it a Ken Sasha the other uh, a week ago or a couple weeks ago, yeah. but I think it's more of a uh, Daniel Bryan running knee or maybe a. Uh, a claymore kick or something i don't know shout out all my wrestling fans maybe even a v trigger but yeah elsewhere we have the braves chugging along at four and five mets are doing fine the marlins over 500 Watch out. really good yeah it's really- hey it's almost like it's almost like we called it out that they were going to pitch really well it's just going to come down to whether they can score any runs the phillies have improved a little bit a little bit instead of being uh, four games below 500 now they're now three games below 500 brewers seem to be running away with it so far depending on how much you believe in the pirates and or the cubs cardinals kind of struggling out of the gate cubs and pirates being 11 and 6 and 12 and 7 respectively did not see that i'm gonna be completely honest with you did you see how good justin Steele has been he's been amazing he's been good and patrick wisdom is hitting everything he has like seven straight games of extra base hits or something wild like that. And Pete Alonso are the tops for homers. Yeah. Um, in the NOS, of course, you have the Diamondbacks on top at 11 and 8. And then you have Dodgers and Padres tied, essentially tied both with nine wins. And then you have the Giants and Rockies bringing up the rear. Not particularly surprising. They're raised 16 and 3. They've just been incredible. I saw a stat the other day when I was watching them saying that they have 12 players who already have more than one home run. I don't even have to look at the stats. I know that there are quite a few teams who don't even have 12 players with home runs. Yeah, I would bet on that. Beyond that, there seems to be a massive log jam in the AL East behind them. You have three teams with 11 wins between the Yankees, Orioles, and Blue Jays, and then the 500 Red Sox. So that race for one of the wild card spots is going to be interesting unless they all just cannibalize each other, which would be equally hilarious. And what I'm expecting, if I'm honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's a clear separation. I still think that the Yankees and Blue Jays are a clear step above the Orioles, but who knows, man, if they just all kind of go 500 against each other and then you have like two AL West teams sneak in. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be really funny. 
Uh, the Tigers, by the way, have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players who have hit a home run. Okay. Okay. So solid. <laughs> Whereas the Rays have 12 who have two or more. That's yeah. They have, last I checked. I feel like we're picking on the, the poor Tigers because last week we used them too. They've been decent. Now, a couple of their wins have been like legit, like. <laughs> Did you no say disrespect, that? but but like they've been like legitimate, like we're not very good wins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had Eduardo uh, Rodriguez um, and Peyton Battenfield uh, in the second game of the doubleheader yesterday against the Guardians. Um, it was like forty-five degrees, and the game was an hour and forty-four minutes, and the Tigers won one <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Where it was just like it was like it was brutal everyone was looking like placido polanco out there like not having fun definitively not having a good time and like oh my god yeah just like just get one run and just call it like first to score who cares <laughs> yeah that was on uh that was on tuesday by the way so you know <laughs> the tampa bay rays currently have a plus 83 run differential which is quite honestly disgusting they're pretty much the antithesis of the a's right now it's kind of i wouldn't say it's ironic but it is interesting that the two teams that are most in the conversation for relocation or figuring out what they're doing with the stadium are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum right now one's the best team in baseball and one is very clearly the worst team in baseball yeah one is setting records for being good and the other one for being bad so expected win loss percentage for for uh the athletics right now is 29 wins. That's what I was going to say. Like I said it yesterday. I was like, not to rehash it too much. I mean, we've already poured quite a few words into it, but if it's different than the Tigers in 03, because there's just, they're just so devoid of talent at all levels. Yeah. If they win 40 games this year, I will be surprised. I will they legitimately like, be surprised. They have like seven good players who should probably be in the major leagues. And the I wouldn't even say I wouldn't say good. I would say they have probably seven players who could be in the major league in the major leagues on another team. Yeah, maybe. I hope so. Yeah, maybe not starting. I would say almost none of them starting. No, probably not. Take a quick guess. Who has the second best run differential right now in baseball? The Rays are first. Yep. Is it the Brewers? No, they are fourth. The one I saw that shocked me was that the the Blue Jays are negative. That that was surprising. Yeah, the Blue Jays are minus twelve right now. They are twenty first in run differential. It's crazy. I guess they've been kind of slumping. Yeah. Uh, can you give me the league? American. Twins. No. Wrong division. Oh, the Rangers. Yes, the Texas Rangers. <laughs> Can you, can you wax poetic, even though their outfield is awful, how they're playing so well? The outfield is horrific. I mean, really, really, really no one, like their offense is not good right now. They've just had a lot of walks and really, really, really timely hitting. I, like, I think that their team OPS is like 722. Like they are, they're like firmly middle of the pack. Now, granted, Seager's hurt. Mitch Garver's been hurt. They've had to play basically young guys in the outfield. Robbie Grossman has been horrific. Marcus Simeon has been really good. Jonah Heim has been really good. Nate Lowe started off really hot and he kind of cooled off. 
somehow Adolis Garcia has like 19 runs batted in already, and he has not particularly been good, been good. Just grand slams, like getting one hit over three games and one of them being a grand slam grand helps slam. with that. <laughs> it's almost like RBIs are, I mean, kind of uh, not an important stat. Yeah, it's it's incredibly circumstantial. <laughs> but yeah, I mean they've they've gotten really 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 good starting pitching. They've had like two or three games where their starting pitching has just imploded and beyond that their pitching has kept them in a game every single time. Um they have the bullpen's actually been really good. I think uh they've had outside of there was a there was like a two game stretch early in the year where they kind of exploded. But since then they've been performing very well. They have this really frustrating, I guess not frustrating, like as whenever they win, but they have this really interesting thing where they basically will score like three runs early and then they do absolutely nothing for six innings. And then the other team makes it three, two. And then like in the top of the eighth or bottom of the eighth, they'll just like, all right, we're going to score six now. (laughs) Yeah. They get like they get like three walks, a broken bat, bloop, and then a homer. <laughs> did we uh did we record last week on Wednesday or Thursday? Do you remember? I think Thursday. It was right before the weekend series. It it really doesn't feel like it for some reason, but the Mets have only lost one game since then, and it was that Kershaw start that was so great. Yeah. Um, swept Oakland, like I talked about already, 17 walks. So, you know, and yeah. then uh, they actually won two run run games against Oakland. So thankfully they won both of those. And then, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's not even that the Mets are playing particularly well other than Brandon Nimmo, who we could talk about for, I could talk about for a minute, sure. but uh, they, uh, they're getting pretty good starting pitching. The bullpen has been taxed a lot because the starters are just not going deep into games. Carrasco's mm-hmm. heard again. Now Scherzer might be suspended. So it's really kind of David Peterson, Tyler McGill, Kodai Senga, and um, figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, because especially because Verlander and Quintana and and now Carrasco are all injured and uh, it's they don't have a starter schedule for tomorrow, which would will be Friday if you're listening to this in the future. So we'll see who starts that game or what they do. It's me in the future. Joey Lucchese pitched so well. So yeah, I feel like I could talk about Nimmo. He's been terrific. He had a five hit game yesterday. He's made some sick outfield catches. Mm-hmm. I really didn't think if you had asked me like. Two years ago, I did not think he was a center fielder. I just thought he was kind of a very good outfielder that could play a corner. Now, granted, he doesn't have a good arm. That's probably the weakest part of his game. But his eye has always been terrific. And now he's not standing there trying to take a walk either. He used to try to do that like two, three years ago. Um, I know this is very painful for you because you wanted him on the Rangers. But, um, yeah, he's been great. He's a top uh, 10 in war and top two, three in offensive war right now and uh just kind of impacting the ball so he's hitting extra base hits he's making great outfield plays he's just kind of taking this game to that next level yeah no you're right it it, it is a little painful just because i did want him on the rangers but i mean hey he's he's been awesome and the thing about the arm like good news really- for him good news for him is that he can play really good uh, center field defense that it, arm strength is the least important thing for a center fielder um you have basically, you could argue left field a little bit, but the corner really kind of messes it up. You have the shortest throws and it's more about, can you catch balls in the gap because you have the most 
coverage responsibilities. So arm isn't super important. I mean, it, it is nice having a guy who can host someone at home, you know, on a fly ball with a runner on third, but if he's catching balls in the gap or going back to the fence and catching balls that would otherwise be hits. I mean, you kind of give up a run here or there for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a big, big problem. He's just, um, he's tracking the ball in the air really well and he's not afraid of hitting the wall. He hit the right. wall in the other stadiums. So he's just been great. Yep. Real quick, just to close the loop on some of the other divisions, you have the Twins and Guardians essentially tied at the top of the Central. The other three teams are not good. Tigers are in third right now, which is funny because we love to hate on the White Sox. Um, I, I don't even know if we can call them chaotic neutral anymore because they're chaotic bad. And then the AL West, you have the Rangers with a three-game lead so far and then a... Uh, traffic jam two through four with the Angels, Astros, and Mariners, and then obviously the Athletics. There's going to be some inflated win totals for the AL West this year just because they get to play the Athletics the most. So there could very well be like a 2016 situation where an AL West division winner just gets smoked in the first round because they played bad teams. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's not looking great for the, uh, the Mariners. I'm starting to get a little worried there. I haven't had a chance to watch them that much, but checking those box scores, it's not looking too good. The thing that's been killing the Mariners for the most part of it is they've just played other good teams so far and even surprisingly good teams. Like we the Brewers, they just played the Brewers. Yeah, they played the Brewers, they played the Cubs, who going back to run differential, they're third right now. Like, I still don't think the Cubs are gonna make the playoffs personally. I think that I think that they're on a particular hot streak right now that any team can yeah, can they're do. Kind of on a right now, but they're playing the Dod- the Dodgers uh, Cup series is going to be really interesting this weekend. That's going to be very interesting. Did you see? Did you see the other night whenever uh, Bellinger robbed a home run at Dodger Stadium? They started booing him, and he just kind of held his hands up like, "What?" <laughs> did you see that he got a pitch clock violation because he took he he uh, he like flipped, it was a yeah it was an ova- it was an ovation from the Dodgers fans and he kind of stepped out and like tipped his helmet and stuff like that and then the umpire gave him a strike <laughs> so so mean so mean you imagine like, that to like Miguel Cabrera every time he comes up to bat and he gets a big standing ovation because everybody knows it's like his last year yeah no I mean. <laughs> We already know umpires are cops, but like, come on. Like, you don't have to go full have cop. A, like, have a heart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about some early season production as well. Um, you already mentioned that Nemo is second in offensive war at 1.2. Matt Chapman, MVP season, maybe. Uh, he's leading the way offensively at 1.4. You got Luis Arias um, at 1.1. And then you have a list of Xander, Ronald Acuna, Kyle Tucker going down all at 1.1. So first off, the offensive side, at least for the top six, you have some perhaps expected names with Ronald Acuna and maybe Kyle Tucker. But I mean, Bogarts is good. But I mean, man, that's a, that's a kind of an interesting, you know, list at the top with some really good players, but perhaps not expected to be this good players. And then as far as for pitchers, you have Garrett Cole at 1.6. Ashcraft for the Reds at 1.3. He's been great so far. Marcus Stroman at 1.3. Otani at 1.2. Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, uh, Justin Steele, Pablo Lopez, Clayton Kershaw, Luis Urias. So a little... Actually, I'm not even going to say that. It's it's a little surprising who we're seeing at the top of the leaderboards right now, and surely this is subject to change. But as we can all expect, who do we think is number one overall in war? It's Otani. Correct. So 1.2 as a pitcher, 0.5 as a hitter so far. Yeah. 
Yep. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Like we are roughly an eighth of the way through the season. And so if you extrapolate that out, that's a pretty salty season from Otani. Pretty crazy. Yep. The uh, Rockies are currently beating the Phillies two nothing. Excellent. We love to see. <laughs> Oh, by the way, the uh, Phillies are wearing their beautiful uh, light blue uniforms. Those are good, I have to admit. Oh, you know what? They don't have a City Connect yet. That's probably why they're able to wear the red alts and these. Yeah, yeah, they don't have the City Connect yet. Okay. There's a few teams that are getting it this year. Yeah. All right, so up next we're going to talk about some some weekend series coming up and I believe the first team we are the first series we are starting with is Dodgers Cubs. Dodgers Cubs. So right now you have a team who is kind of surprisingly um second in the NL Central right now and another team who maybe kind of surprisingly is second in the NL West. What do those probable starters look like? It's a Thursday to set Sunday. Mm-hmm. So tonight, Thursday, the 20th, uh, Michael Grove, Javier Saad, Friday, Julio Urias, Drew Smiley, Saturday, Clayton Kershaw, Hayden Wisnowski, and Sunday, Matinee, uh, Dustin May, Marcus Stroman, which is a nice matchup. That so. is a very nice matchup. All right. Going based off of pitching matchups, that th- that, I think that favors the Dodgers pretty easily i mean you have i mean grove he's okay it it does seem a bit high scoring at least for tonight but then you have kershaw going you have dustin may and marcus stroman that should be a fun one and then who's the other starter for the dodgers Urias is going against yeah Urias. they're missing justin Steele. justin Steele, which is a pretty big thing at least so far this year because he's been pretty dynamite i'm just gonna do a quick peek at the offensive stats Real quick, I mean, the Dodgers are currently doing pretty well. That's by war, though. Let's see by WRC+. plus. Yeah, the Cubs are currently 115, and the Dodgers are currently 114. So it feels pretty even offensively. Um, the Dodgers walk a lot more. They have better ISO. They're just getting terrible BABIP look. Right now, the, the Cubs have a 341 uh, BABIP, and the Dodgers have a 266. I am going to go three one Dodgers. Um, I'm actually going to go split two two. Okay. I don't know which of the games the Cubs will win, but I think that they're going to get two because they're at home. Um, it's actually three day games, which is really nice. That is really nice. Are they in LA or Chicago? It's in Chicago. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Probably what uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all day games. Yep. Yeah. Most cases, usually, I know we are still in April, so this may not be the case, but most cases in Wrigley during the day, it's a lot better than at night. Yeah, I, I really I really think, like I said, just from just from the pitching aspect of it, I really think that Urias and Kershaw, those two games are pretty strong favored for the Dodgers. And then it's going to come down to, you know, the first matchup, which is kind of mid on mid, at least right now. Although Grove was pretty good the last time he was out. And then May versus Stroman, which Stroman's been awesome so far. So I think I would take Sunday as a probable win for the Cubs. And then whether it's 3-1 or a split is going to going to depend on tonight. Agreed. And that game actually starts in like 10 minutes in real time. So we'll nice. Okay. The, the next one we have up is... Cardinals, Mariners. You might be asking, mm. so why are we talking about these two teams? Well, 
They're both eight and 11 as we speak. And uh, it's getting late early, even though it's the first month of the season, especially for the Cardinals who are always expected to be good. So I think it's worth discussing this one. What do you say? Yeah, absolutely. So the pitching matchups, Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. We have Friday, Stephen Matz, George Kirby. Saturday, Miles Michaelis, who has been not good. And Luis <laughs> has been very good. And Sunday, Jack Flaherty versus Chris Flexen. Jack Flaherty, who has been surprisingly pretty, pretty good this year. I wouldn't say surprisingly. He's just not the pitcher he was a couple years ago. Chris Flexen, you may have to check me on this one, but I don't remember too much from him. I don't feel like he's been particularly amazing. He's been bad. Yeah, that's what I figured. I was trying to be nice about it. Um, I don't know. To me, this feels like so far the 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 main holdup for the cardinals is just their pitching their pitching has not been good um by wrc plus they have the third best offense right now so they're hitting fine like their babip is good they're not hitting for a ton of power they're not striking out a ton though and they're walking a lot so they're getting some good movement on the bases i think advantage offensively is with the cardinals seattle is currently 19th um which kind of goes back to what we talked about before the season they're going to be incredible pitching but Where's the offense going to come from? However, in this matchup, Kirby and uh, Castillo by themselves, I think, are better than the the two pitchers that they're facing in the first two series with Michaelis and who was the first one you said? Matts, Stephen Matts, I think. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. I'm going to go two one Mariners. Yeah, I agree. Two one Mariners winning Friday, Saturday and losing Sunday. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that sounds right. All right. Uh, everybody's favorite team, the New York Mets, they're <laughs> West Coast swing. Um, they did Oakland, L.A., San Francisco, instead of just doing Oakland, San Francisco, L.A. So real great work there on uh, an extra flight for no reason. Hey, fortunately, it's only like a it's only like an hour flight. So yeah, L.A. Excess, if it was like an hour, but yeah, know, just thinking of the, the carbon footprint here, Adam. <laughs> that's fair so uh this probable pictures tonight uh kodai Senga, sean manaya mm-hmm. tomorrow our favorite tbd because carlos grass goes on the dl versus yeah. anthony Calafini. so i don't know who's going to start for the mets uh saturday Pedro peterson logan webb who, logan webb wow almost a five era and yeah uh, he had a he had a much better start in his last one but he has not been terrific so far. i watched that last one he was very good and then yeah. on Sunday. Tyler McGill versus again our favorite TBD. So I don't know who the Giants are going to roll out there. I don't know who pitched uh, yesterday for the Giants. Dang, we we got a double TBD series, one for each side. So that kind of neutralizes, I think. Desclafini, he's been decent to start. Manaya has been okay to start as well, a lot better than he, how he closed the season last year with the Padres. Logan Webb, he's had a bit of a rough start to the year, but he can pick it up pretty much at any point. Yeah, I. Once again, um, we kind of talked about this, you know, before the season started, but the one question, the biggest question I had more so than the back half of the offense for the Mets was just the age and the availability of their pitchers and then having to lean on depth. Turns out that Cookie has a bone spur in his elbow when like I was kind of wondering if he was even still a number three in a rotation, maybe, maybe even a number four. Um, But he's been he was terrible before he, he, they found out he had a bone spur. So, I mean, you're, you're really kind of looking at a, a run of inexperienced pitchers for the Mets 
against a, a not super good offense for the Giants, at least up to this point. Actually, I take that back. They're actually 11th. So they're, they've been okay. They've been pretty good. A lot of homers against Chicago. Yeah, that is true. And then the Mets currently, their offense ranked is 14th. So I think I give the edge right now a little, especially considering how it is pitching in uh, in San Francisco. I think I give a little bit more of the edge to the Giants for this series, but I think the Mets are obviously a better team overall. They're just hurt right now. Yeah, by the way, the, the TBD for Sunday for the Giants is probably going to be Alex Cobb. He pitched yesterday for the Giants. Giants. So okay. So when I'm looking at it, I see not a lot of walks from the Giants and a lot of strikeouts. The Mets have a 12 and a half percent walk rate and an only 17% strikeout rate. Yeah, that may be tops. Yeah, the Giants strike out the most, and the Mets are tied with striking out the least. So in a ballpark like um, in a ballpark like uh, like in San Francisco, Oracle Park, I think it is now. I have no idea. AT&T, maybe. No, it used oh, to be AT&T. Now it's Oracle. Who knows? Putting the ball in play is is going to be key. You know, you're not going to get a bunch of carry. It's it's hard to hit homers there, but just putting the ball in play is better than not. So I think I'm going to I'm actually going to take, I think, a 2-2 with the Mets more likely to pick up the third win just because I like their I like that they put the ball in play, and I think the the stadium is going to help their pitchers more. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think it's going to be interesting to see who starts Friday for the Mets. It could be Jose Buto, who actually pitched very well. Granted, it was against the A's, so mm-hmm. a little bit of a grain of salt, but he's been very good in AAA too, so uh, we'll see. I would definitely, as a fan, be happy with a 2-2 split, especially since they swept Oakland, and it's been a 5-1 and one home road trip, so you get out of this road trip all the way to the the California teams other than the Padres with this kind of result, that'd be great. So I lean exactly as you do, probably a split, but mo- actually most likely 3-1, happy with a split, pissed if they only win one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know why I'm getting that feeling. Like obviously the ballpark's going to help them as well, but it's really just kind of the strikeout rate for me at this time that those are a lot of strikeouts. And then when they put the ball in play, like it's going to take a lot, you know, to really do a ton of damage unless they're hitting line drives. This feels like a series to me where it's going to be, it feels like a lot of like five, three, five, four, six, five games. Yeah. And those are the kind of games that's been playing all year. Honestly. Yeah. And with that, we've reached the end of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening to us today or tomorrow or next week or whenever you decide to lend us your ears and or attention. As always, we try to record this every week at any time. If you have any requests, any questions or anything of the sort, please feel free to email bockoffpod at gmail.com. And with that, Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. And we will catch you all on the other side. Thanks for listening, everybody.